have any of you experienced a troubled heart this week? Maybe we felt like that over the coronavirus outbreak in China. As the numbers of people infected and who have lost their life because of this increases, so does our anxiety over the quarantine breaking down and it becoming a worldwide epidemic. Or maybe we felt like this when last month some of the world's eminent scientists moved the doomsday clock forward, claiming that the world is only a hundred seconds away from the global apocalypse through nuclear war or climate change. When we hear people say that the situation at present is the most dangerous humanity has ever faced, then I guess it's hard not to be worried. Or maybe it was the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz that disturbed us. As our our president joined many other leaders to honour the the over 1.1 million Jews who died there, it's difficult not to be overwhelmed by a reminder of just how cruel human beings can be. Or maybe it's events closer to home that have troubled our hearts. Like the tragic deaths of those children in Newcastle. Or the suspected stabbing incident in Gori. Or even all of the uncertainty that comes around this time when we're in the face of an election. Or maybe it's not any of those things that trouble our hearts. Maybe it's just our own personal issues. Maybe it's ill health. Or financial problems. Or, or family issues. Or mental health. I think when you sit down and think about the world that we live in, I don't think anybody would be surprised if our hearts were troubled this morning. But despite all of the worry and all of the distress that we could experience this morning, Jesus wants us to know that we don't need to be troubled because we can trust in him. So we're going to read these amazing words, very well known words, but amazing words from John chapter 14 this morning, uh, verse 1 down to verse 6. So please listen carefully, get your Bibles out, have a look at them, let these words sink into our hearts this morning. John 14 verse 1, this is Jesus speaking, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As the disciples reclined at the dinner table on that last night, 
together before Jesus went to the cross, their hearts were troubled. Jesus had just told them that one of you is going to betray me. And then he had told Peter, the strongest, the most vocal among them, that before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But probably most troubling of all were the words of Jesus when he said, I, am going, I will be with you only a little while longer. And where I am going, you cannot come. They didn't understand what Jesus meant. Why would he be leaving? They'd left everything to follow him. What were they going to do now? They felt distressed, bewildered, anxious, afraid. But into this worry and distress, Jesus spoke some amazing words. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, I think we need to be careful and really clear about what Jesus was saying here. He was not criticizing or condemning these disciples for feeling distressed or anxious. As if they were doing something wrong. That's clear, not just from the tone of this passage, but also because three times previously in John's Gospel, John described Jesus as being troubled. Three times. And he used exactly the same word each time as he used here. At Lazarus' tomb, when Mary, when Jesus saw Mary crying and the distress of all of the mourners, it said that Jesus was upset and was deeply troubled. Then when talking about his imminent crucifixion, Jesus said, Now I am very troubled. And then when telling his disciples that one of them would betray him, it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit. So three times we see Jesus being troubled. So Jesus is not rebuking his disciples here because he was annoyed that they were distressed and troubled as kind of a lack of faith. He's not wagging his finger at them and telling them off. And neither is he telling them that they should be unaffected and unmoved by all of the things that's happening in their life. It's right that our hearts should respond to what we experience in our lives. We are designed to be emotional. So today, we can be authentic. We can be honest. We can be open with how we feel. We don't need to try and hide our feelings, our fears, or our worries, or our concerns, in case someone is going to rebuke us for them. As if somebody's going to come up and say, hey, you shouldn't be feeling like that today. We can be real with each other. And we can be real with our God.
Psalm 62 says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. However we feel today, God invites us to be honest with him. Because he's our safe place. He is our shelter. He is the one who will listen to the cries of our hearts and wrap us up in his loving arms. So this morning we can be real about how we feel. We can be real with our emotions. But we don't need to be overwhelmed by them. Yes, we will at times feel troubled. But we don't need to stay in that place helpless and hopeless. Jesus here was encouraging his disciples that despite all of how they were feeling and all of what they were facing, they didn't need to be troubled. Because even in that difficult time, they could stand strong by faith in him. He said these amazing words, trust in God, trust also in me. And whatever is happening in our lives, we can do the same. We can be encouraged to stand strong in the difficult times in our lives because we can trust in God. And we can trust in his son. And the first reason that Jesus gives us for why we can do this in our passage is because we have a place prepared for us. Jesus said, verse 2, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And I remember a number of years ago, one evening we, we travelled up to Belfast to get a late ferry over to Scotland. The drive up to Belfast was fine, the roads were quite quiet, but the sea was a bit kind of choppy and a bit up and down, and Lauren and I just don't like that at all. And even Kerry are usually fine, but we're, we feel really sick. And then we got off the, the boat about two in the morning, and we had an hour's drive to our, our destination. But there was something that made that journey so much easier. It's because we, were, we knew we were heading to my mum and dad's house. And we knew that although it was going to be after three in the morning when we arrived, we'd still be welcomed. And there'd be a mug of tea. And a bit of a chat, even at three in the morning. And there would be a room prepared for us where we could rest. And it's the same in the difficult journeys of our life. The journey through life is often tough. There are really uncomfortable times, even painful times. But Jesus assured us that at the end, if we've trusted in him, we have a place prepared for us. I don't know what you think about heaven, or if you think about heaven. When we talk about heaven, I think most of us have lots and lots of questions about heaven what will it be like what will we look like what age will we be what will we do there in fact this week one of uh, my daughters I'll not mention which one you can guess 
uh, was trying to get our head around just where heaven really is. We talk about it being up there, but what does that mean? Is it in our solar system? Is it in our galaxy? Is it in our universe? Or is it in somewhere else? You'll have a chat with her later about it and see what she come up with. Because Jesus doesn't answer all these questions that we might have. He doesn't give us a detailed description of heaven. Instead, he simply says here, it is my Father's house. My Father's house. But you know this little phrase? That tells us a lot, doesn't it? It tells us who owns the place. It's his. He owns it. It tells us who's in charge of it. It's where God reigns. But it also tells us the character of heaven. I'm sure you've noticed that homes often reflect their owners. Have you noticed that? If we're disorganized and messy, or we're ordered and precise, or we're stylish and trendy, or we're relaxed and welcoming, then our homes will in some way reflect this. Now, don't be going and visiting everybody and kind of analyzing them. Just go and enjoy their time, okay? But if heaven is our Father's house, then it will go to reflect who He is. So God is the most awesome and creative designer in the world. So heaven's not boring or dull. It's not all white and boring and clean and clinical. It's going to be breathtaking in its beauty and its wonder. God is also holy and righteous, so everything in heaven is going to be perfect and pure. Untainted by any evil or corruption. But our Father is also loving and gracious. So heaven's going to be a place of warmth, of intimacy, of friendship, of freedom, of joy. But Jesus did say something specific about heaven here. It's not only my father's house, as he said. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. Now that word for rooms, it just simply means dwelling places. It says that it's our permanent home, it's where we will dwell. But the translators of the King James Version, when they translated this word, they called it mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. And from that, from that translation came this idea that heaven was like a massive big housing estate where the best and the most faithful Christians would have the biggest mansion and the largest property. But I think that misses the whole point. It's not in the Bible. Because Jesus here was not describing a housing estate, but a family home. Heaven is our Father's house. It's our Dad's house. So the reward of heaven is not wealth 
or luxury or elitism rattling around in some big massive house from you know, a distance from everywhere else. The reward of heaven is love and intimacy with our Lord. It's being right in the middle of the family. Right in the middle of that loving community. It's as Jesus said here, verse 3, that you also may be where I am. That's what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is not heaven because it's beautiful. Or because the streets are paved with gold. Or because you'll play a harp there. Hope not. Rather have the electric guitar. Heaven is heaven because we'll see Jesus face to face. And we'll be with him forever. forever. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. Remember way back in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus came to to, to make His dwelling among us so that one day we could dwell with Him in heaven. Jesus left heaven To open up heaven to us. He came to us so that one day we could come to God. To stay. And we can be confident of a safe arrival there. Because Jesus said, I will come back and take you to be with me. It's not as if we have to try and find our own way there. And hopefully get there safely. Jesus is coming back for us. As Paul wrote in the church, to the church in Thessalonica, one day the Lord himself will come down from heaven and so we will be with the Lord forever. What an encouraging thing to be able to say and be able to hold on to in troubling times. Even although the journey of our lives may be tough, even they might even be bleak, we do not need to be distressed because there's a place prepared for us. No matter what happens, we have a room in our Father's house with our name in the door that can never be taken from us. It is a sure and certain hope. It's something that should impact our hearts and encourage us this morning. But some people might ask, how can we be sure of getting there? How can we know what we need to do in order to get to heaven? It's all very well saying how wonderful it is, but how can I know that I will get there? Well, Thomas was somebody with lots of questions. So in verse 5, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And these days, I think many people feel like Thomas. Some people have estimated that there are over 4,000 different religions in the world. 4,000 of them. 
Each of them say something different about God. And each of them claim to provide different maps or directions to heaven. Or whatever they call the, the ultimate goal of life. And in the face of all this choice, we could just be confused and overwhelmed. How can we tell which one is the best? How do we know which one will work? How do we know which one is helpful? Some people are even afraid to choose. To actually make a, 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 an all-in decision on one in case they, they might miss the one that's actually true. We don't know where we're going or how to get there. But Jesus is really clear here. Jesus doesn't want us to leave us in that place of confusion. He wants it to be crystal clear, just simple and direct. In the sixth of the I am sayings, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I know that that's really unacceptable these days to say that, isn't it? I know it sounds offensive to tolerant ears of this world. But that's what Jesus said to us. He said that there's only one way to God. And it's not through a church, or a religion, or good works, or effort, or spiritual enlightenment, or following our heart, or something else like that. The one way to God is through a person. It's only through a faith in Jesus. That's the only way we can be brought into a relationship with God. And this is because only Jesus bridged that gap, that gulf between us and God. Only He paid the price of our sin by dying in our place on the cross. This is what Paul says in in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. There's only one way, one person who can bring us to God. Only one person that can bridge that gulf. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I'm going. They knew the way. Because they knew Jesus. And when the disciples understood this, when it really dawned upon them, it gave them such confidence. It gave them the confidence to lose everything of this world. Because they had complete assurance that they were right with God. Because they put their faith in Jesus. They were willing to live free free to serve God because they weren't trying to hold on to everything that this world offers because they knew they had everything in Christ and it also convinced them that sharing the message of Jesus was worth suffering for even dying for with this conviction Peter and John 
courageously stated to the hostile Sanhedrin that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So some people say it's unloving to say that Jesus is the only way to God. They might claim it's more loving to say that there's many roads to God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But, if, but that's not loving if it's not true. How can it be loving if this message of tolerance, all it does is deceive people to remain in their sin, separate from God, and heading to a lost eternity? During this week about in the, in the States, in the US, about 350 people are killed every year by travelling on a motorway the wrong way. They come on, a, on, a, on one of the on-ramps and they come in the wrong direction and they travel down the, the, mo- the motorway in the wrong direction and they have a head-on collision. If you saw somebody travelling the wrong way in a motorway, would you just say, oh, well, it's okay. We should just allow them to do it the, their own way. Don't, 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 don't tell them that they're, doing the, they're going the wrong way because that might offend them. That might upset them. We don't want to tell them off. Or would you scream at them that they're going the wrong way? How much more should we want to warn people who are going the wrong way in life? If Jesus is somebody that we can trust, and he said that he is the only way, then we need to share that message. Jesus said that he is also, I am the truth. I don't know about you, but we regularly get phone calls from people telling us that our computer has malware and viruses on it. And we got those, those phone calls. They want to help us to get rid of all these problems. They claim to be from a computer repair company and they'll do it for free. Until I guess you get deeper and deeper and deeper and then they need your bank details for some reason. Because of course they're lying. It's just a late, one of the latest scams to steal money from unsuspecting people. But lies are not just told by companies, are they? A few years ago, there was a survey by an advertising agency that claimed that 91% of Americans, 91% of Americans confessed that they regularly lied. 20% even admitted that they couldn't get through one day without actually going along with a previous lie. The most common lies were about their weight or about money. Or about their age. But even according to research from Science Daily, many parents lie to their kids. Shock, horror. They lie to influence their actions. They say bad things will happen if that child does this. If they don't do what the parent wants or an act in a certain way. You ever heard those kind of lies? Your, your, face, your face will stick that way. You ever heard that one? Or the, 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 some kind of boogeyman or bad man will come and get you if you, do, if you don't go to bed right now? Banshee. Or the banshee? No wonder kids are scared. Eh? And no wonder we struggle who, about who to believe when it comes to the important questions of life. 
Who do you believe? But Jesus claimed not only to always tell the truth, he claimed to be the truth. I am the truth, he said. He is the the true revelation from God. If we want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. Because he is the image of the invisible God. All the questions can be gone. All the confusion can be taken away. This can bring such comfort and stability in this ever-changing world. We don't need to run after the latest trendy guru or religion. Because if we've accepted Jesus, then we have the truth. The search for truth ends in Jesus. And accepting Jesus will change your life. Jesus said, I am the life. The reality is, if we haven't yet accepted Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, if we haven't made a personal decision to put our trust in Him, then the Bible says that we haven't even started to live. This is what John wrote in his letter. 1 John chapter 5 verse 12. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Because we can't come into God's presence. We can't know God. We don't have a place in God's kingdom outside of faith in Jesus. But when we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept Him into our lives, then we are brought into real life. He who has the Son has life. And this is not just talking about life in heaven sometime in the future. This is about a new life right now. So it says, he who has the Son has life. It's a present reality. And we're going to see this in more detail next week and the following weeks as Jesus goes on to talk about some of the amazing blessings that we receive right now the moment that we trust in Jesus. We need to leave that for next week. But this is not about us waiting around for heaven when we really can start to live. It doesn't mean that our life is pointless And it's just kind of a waste of time. And sure, why doesn't God just come back and take us to be with Him him in heaven? Because, look, this life is useless. It's not about that at all. This life, as we'll see in later weeks, is about knowing God's presence. It's about having His power in us. It's about being able to share with Him in prayer. It's about able to minister and serve Him and be fruitful for Him and, 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 and bring glory to Him. Because if we put our trust in Jesus, we are brought into life now. As Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the eternal life that this gospel is all about. Not not just a life that goes on forever, but a quality of life that's lived in relationship with God now and forever. So folks, that's why we don't need to be discouraged. 
That's why we don't need to be distressed. That's why we don't need to be troubled and overwhelmed with anxieties and fears. This is why we can cope with the the uncertainties of life. Because despite all of the mess that we need to go through in our lives, despite all the trouble that might come into our lives, we can put our trust in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if we have faith in Him, then we can be sure that we have real, abundant life. Right now. And that one day Jesus will come back for us. And take us to be with Him forever. In His Father's house.